Welcome to the CannaCoin podcast with Q Nicole. And whether you are canna curious, a budding entrepreneur, or just interested in advocating for this space, we are here to destigmatize, to educate, and to really introduce the wealth and the wellness benefits in the cannabis industry. So thank you so much for joining us. I'm Q Nicole Vanderhorst, founder and CEO of WH Farms Co. WH Farms Co. is an industrial cannabis cultivation, a botanical manufacturing operation where we cultivate and we extract and formulate and manufacture body care and wellness products in the cannabis space that can be shipped nationwide, giving individuals opportunity to launch or expand their CBD product line through our white labeling service. And we're excited because we want to talk about what it means to really not only grow in this space as a business owner, but most importantly, why this industry is exploding, why so many people are choosing cannabis above alcohol and tobacco, why so many states are earning hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue first month of or first year of a cannabis company coming, a cannabis industry opening up in a state. We want to talk about all of those things as we dive into today's episode. So today's hot topic, we're going to shout out the state of Maryland. I lived in a DMV for over 20 years. And so I'm so excited to see that Maryland recently decided to allow recreational or adult use marijuana in a state. And within the first month of sales, revenued over 80 million dollars. And that's because there are so many people who are choosing cannabis to replace or to also just have an alternative to alcohol, to cigarettes, and to any even prescription medication. And I think that when you think about the fact that we are a United States of America, if each state were to have the ability to revenue and open up this industry successfully and to obtain the tax revenue that's available, then look at how that could impact our schools, our roads, and so many other aspects of our country and our infrastructure. I just think that Mary Jane is innocent. The plant is so innocent. Let her be free because she is going to bring just so much well-being, not only from a wellness perspective, but from a wealth perspective. So shout out to Maryland. You guys are buying it up. And I hope that more states see the success that states are having. They lose the hysteria that comes along with this negative stigma that the plant has been assigned. And they recognize that it is a pathway for prosperity and it's a pathway for wellness benefits um, that are plant-based. So I know that today I have the most amazing guest to help me share in that information and to really share with you all of the just statistical data around the finances and the regulations and what she's seen as a West Coast native and also a professional who's been working in the cannabis industry well before the 2018 Farm Bill was passed. Um, so she's able to give such great insight. Um, so we have with us today, Miss Ashley Nelson. How are you? I'm great. How are you? You are so beautiful. I love your green. You just match the set and everything. I had to come prepared yes. for the topic. I love it. I love it. So, Ashley, you are a financial and accounting professional, a master's of science and accounting. You've worked for uh, marijuana companies and pet CBD companies. And so tell everyone, introduce yourself a bit. Give us a bit about your backstory and how you were introduced to the cannabis space. Well, as you said, I'm a West Coast native, California born and raised okay. in the San Francisco Bay Area. All right. Um, 
I pursued my bachelor's in business. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to have a background in business. Um, during my undergraduate degree, I found accounting and it merged two of my favorite things, math and money. Okay. So I knew that this was the career path for me. So after I completed my bachelor's, I began to work um, in entry level accounting positions, um, continued on to complete my master's in 2015 in accounting. Um, and in 2016, I birthed All Concepts Accounting, which is my boutique accounting firm that provides um, bookkeeping and accounting services to business and individuals looking to empower themselves with financial information and make the best decisions for their life based on that financial information. So I just have to do a quick plug because as a business owner in this industry, it's so hard to find qualified accounting services specific for the cannabis industry. So your boutique agency works with CBD companies, cannabis companies, etc. Yes, ma'am. With that said, let's talk a little bit about your background in cannabis. Tell me about what were you, um, I know that we have, we've already delved into your professional experience and I know we're going to go very deep into that, but prior to the professional experience, were you a novice to the plant before you started working as an accounting professional in the space? Yes, ma'am. Okay. California native, like I said, born and raised. So we were, we grew up around a culture, I would say that was very cannabis friendly. It was never a taboo plant. It was never seen as anything bad or um, negative, we were always very pro-marijuana in the state of California. Um, As you know, we were the first state to allow not just medicinal use, but recreational use. Medicinal use, 1996. Took 20 years later for 2016, Proposition 2064 to pass for us to allow recreational use. But it's just always been a part of a lot of the culture. Um, A lot of the growers in Humboldt County, Mm -hmm. a lot of the flower comes from there. So we were always immersed Mm -hmm. in the culture being from San Francisco. Mm -hmm. So we never saw it as a bad thing until the world kind of saw it as a bad thing, you know? Right. So how did you feel? Because because we are in the South. Yeah. So you moved from the West Coast to this area. But coming from California, what was your perception of the way that other regions of the country addressed or dealt with this, the plant? Well, I always knew everyone was like, you're moving from California, you... I'm like, yeah, it'll be fine. Um, I was very surprised to come to Georgia and see how they use it recreationally, despite it being illegal. Yeah, (laughs) I was very surprised to go out and see that it's still active here, um, despite it being taboo. Georgia, Texas, Louisiana. These are some of the states that have the strictest laws. Mississippi still on this this drug to this date, even though we have 38 states who allow it for municipal use. So um, I was very, very shocked to see the recreational use despite the legislation here. Um, But I did initially think that it would be a little... A little dicey. You'd be always looking over your shoulder or worried. But... um, It's not the case. It's the culture. It's the culture. It's the culture. I was reading a statistic earlier that talked about how, and I'll talk about this in other shows, but how over 70% of adult Americans have tried cannabis. Oh, wow. And 40, more like 48, 45 to 48% of them actually said they liked it. Oh, yeah. And so, I mean, of course we know that, right? Right. Of course you like it. But it's amazing because as these numbers continue to grow, as it continues to be destigmatized, what we're noticing is that these southern states are, the residents of these southern states are being a bit more vocal and open about their use. And even as a company, we're excited to talk about more of the wellness aspects of it Mm -hmm. because we think that that's some of the biggest benefit that the plant offers. So I love that. I love that. So let's talk some statistics. Um, You mentioned that you uh, medicinally California 
allowed medicinal use of cannabis in 96. 1996. 96. Yeah. So shout out to California and all of the work that they've done as a state, as um, legislation, as government to really be a pioneer and forerunner in this space for the country. Definitely. Um, certainly an example um, for other states to follow. You worked with the company. I did. And so tell us about the experience of working with that company. You don't have to share much about the company because I know that they aren't on the podcast, so we don't want to out there. But tell us about your experience as a professional accountant working with a cannabis company. How different were they as a client as a, to, uh, you know, rather than other customers that you perhaps work with or businesses? Well, um, the first cannabis company that I was introduced to was in 2006, prior to Proposition 64 passing. So um, she had two segments of the company. It was a CBD and hemp um, extract of the plant and then a THC human consumption portion. Um, and because California was the pioneer, it took a while for legislation laws, regulation to actually be enacted, to actually create a system that works, right? Okay. Just because a law passes, it takes some time. Mm -hmm. So one of the biggest issues in this industry working with a company is you're not truly sure of what's allowable and what's not, right? right? Because you're waiting for legislation and then you have to be very flexible when that legislation passes. Yeah. So you're quick to conform to whatever is necessary. Um, one of the biggest things is taxes in this industry. California, um, decided to dually tax these companies um, on the cultivation side and on the retail sales and use side. It's one of the biggest um, indicators in this business. Another bigger indicator is banking, Yeah, right? We all know that because marijuana is not federally allowed, it's still a Schedule One narcotic. Um, and any banking institution who is backed by the FDC is yeah. not allowed to have business or customers in this industry. So right. it makes it very difficult for just normal transactions, right? Charging credit cards, having merchant processing systems. You have to have a huge cash on delivery system in yeah. place yeah. because you never know when you may need petty cash um, to pay vendors, to pay employees. So that's one of the biggest issues. Merchant processors being scared to work with you are holding really large reserves. Yeah. And I'm not sure if people know about reserves, but you do $100,000 worth of sales on a Monday and they say, okay, we're going to hold 40,000 of it and we're only going to send you 60 and give us three weeks to send you the 60 in small payments. Yeah. So from a cash flow standpoint as a business to buy inventory, to reinvest in the business, to fulfill orders, to do all of these things, it makes it almost nearly impossible to do it without having some level of cash flow separate from the basic operations of this business. Yeah, yeah. You you brought up a lot, and I love that because I want to go back to explain what the two, the the prop. What's the law again that you mentioned in California? Prop 64. So explain Prop 64 for everyone. Prop 64 was the law that was voted on in the state of California that allowed the recreational use of marijuana. Okay. So it allowed anyone to be able to walk into a cannabis shop over the age of 21 and purchase a certain amount of marijuana for personal consumption. And this was passed in 2006. 16. In 2016. Yes, ma'am. So 96 was when medical use was allowed and mm -hmm. then 20 years later it, it was recreationally available allowed. to adults yes. okay so with prop 64 did you notice that taxation and when did you start working with the cannabis company what it was, was prior that? it was in 2016 but early in about february the bill wasn't passed until later in the year i remember us standing by the tv 
hoping for it to be passed. So, right? so to that point, I'm so glad that you brought that up because a lot of times for people who are launching into this space, you have to, I, I, the part of the, the campaign that when we launched WH Farms and talked about white labeling is starting a CBD, hemp derived CBD product line. My biggest argument was why would we spend millions for state licenses mm -hmm. when there's uncertainty federally why not go into the hemp aspect of the cannabis right. space where there's more at least stability from a federal legalization perspective get to know the plant get to know the marketing get to know the banking get to know the merchant processing because when the federal government catches up you don't have to feel that you've had to waste so many of your capital or resources in risk so talk about the agility that you find that businesses have to have in this space because you don't know, you know, from month to month or quarter to quarter, how a federal law or state law may impact your operations. Definitely, yes. You have to be very flexible, especially with packaging. Yeah. Right? Because we have to be careful of what claims we make on packaging. We have to be careful about where we're shipping our product as laws change. Um, we have to be careful about the laboratories we use, the sourcing of the product. There's been a lot of price volatility in actually the plant and yes. hip derived. So, you know, your costs may elevate in a month extremely where it wasn't before. So all of these are extreme factors that you have to deal with and in the business that I was working with due to the regulations and some of these changes and the unknownness of where the market was going um, that company decided not to move forward with this THC product even mm -hmm. in the medicinal space or in the recreational space and they just focused as you said on the hemp CBD derivatives just because it was a more um, let's say stable market. Stabilize, yeah. Yeah, and you knew um, more opportunities were coming. You yeah. know, you go into the gas station now and you see CBD products Absolutely. here in Georgia, right? So it, it's widely used. We see it in lotions. We see it in body products. I believe cannabis is one of the biggest industries because it can transcend. Yeah. As you said, um, in the USDA, not only do they cover the health and beauty, but they cover our food. Food and beverage. Food and beverage, which are two of the largest industries in and the United textiles. States, right? And textile That's so right. once we can start incorporating and we federalize marijuana and it can be incorporated not only in our food but in our textiles and our beauty products i mean the in the road is endless they say that in the cannabis industry the largest sector uh the fastest growing sector of course is the edibles and right. and, and then second to that are can of beverages yeah because so many people are preferring non-alcoholic but tox but some sort of like tonic or social tonic that allows mm -hmm. for you know the relief of social anxiety, you know, lightening of mood, expressing of, you know, the most jovial self without the parts that make you drunk, make you feel that you are, you know, the things that alcohol can do to your system. Right. And so I love that you mentioned that. So taking it back to the volatility, because I believe that part of pioneering is recognizing that you are walking into walking into uncertain ter terrain. Right. And one of the uh, messages that we really launched with as a company was to plant your flag in this industry while it's stabilizing so that your brand can grow and your business can grow while these details are being ironed out. So as you work with the company that you work with, some of, well, tell me what you guys looked at internally to really make sure that you were able and what suggestions you would make to those who were in the industry that are launching. Maybe they have already started with a more marijuana 
um, type brand. It may not be plant touching, may be plant touching. Let's first talk about the difference with that. Okay. The difference between a plant touching company and a non-plant touching company and how that is a, how that affects you from a business perspective. So the biggest portion that affects you federally is the 280E taxation. Okay. Um, so when we talk about 280E, that is determined on how you are taxed as a business. We've, we're in the age where everyone's starting an LLC and an S-Corp and everyone wants to be an entrepreneur, but they don't understand some of the tax implications behind these businesses that they're starting. Yeah. So when you're in a plant-facing company, um, you are subject to 280E, which means you are not able to deduct any of your business expenses. The only expenses you're able to deduct are what we call COGS, which are cost of goods sold, which is materials or anything that directly is part of the cost of what you're selling. Right. Anything else cannot be written off. So we're so talking about- So marketing can't be written off. We're talking about rent. Advertising can't be written off. No. Rent can't be written off. None of these items. And Labor cannot be written off yeah. unless it's administrative, unless they're- um, doing a payroll <laughs> unless they're doing administrative duty and they're not plant touching at all. Those are the only employees that can be um, written off. So you're paying a really higher tax rate because yeah. we know in the America we have an escalating tax rate depending on how much money you make. Right. So the more you have in gross receipts, it's almost um, counterproductive in that industry to make more because you're taxed more. Wow. So the more you make, the more they tax. When you're in a non-plant facing business or a business like yours, that is part of what we call the agricultural segment of the country, it almost opens up more write-offs for you to be able to um, explore. Um, because like we discussed, our country of America was built on agriculture, right? So that was our biggest trade. That was our biggest our biggest asset here in this country. Yeah. So we really try to protect our agricultural and our farmers and make sure that that is still something that is part of our footprint here. Yeah. So I really, like you say, I, I encourage people to go that route because um, we do see a lot of the great effects of CBD as well. Um, we, we know that our nervous system and we need CBD to balance it out, right? Yeah. It's a part of our system that we already create. So we can see some of the same benefits to yeah. CBD that we do THC. Yeah. And in its expanding market, um, as we said, I believe that it will be introduced in part of our pharmaceuticals Absolutely. very, very soon, as soon as we get this. Patents federally. are already in place from the federal government and some big pharma industries. Yeah. And I just want to echo that point that, you know, starting with the hemp derived CBD business, if you're interested in the cannabis industry, this is what I've preached from the, the first day that I launched WH Farms. And we started our MVP was a kit that combined education and extract mm -hmm. to help people during the pandemic infuse hair products, beauty products, food products with CBD and right. be able to offer additional benefit, charge additional premium so that they can make revenue in the pandemic because everything was shut down. And everyone would say like, well, why wouldn't I start a marijuana company? Because there is a saying that you don't know what you don't know. Right. But in this space, you don't want to find out either, right? <laughs> like you just do not want to find out. And I think that what you just said was super wise. Let's go into banking mm. because we actually, even as a hemp derived CBD company, and we've worked with banks that are agriculturally focused, mm -hmm. but because we're cannabis or marijuana adjacent, 
um, we still are a lot of times scrutinized. I mean, I would never forget we had placed a five-figure check into a bank account and we were, you know, just setting it aside as reserves because it was a part of a, a grant fund that we received and they wanted it to be segregated from the operating account. And within like two weeks, the bank called and said, hey, can you come pick up a check? Yeah. And I'm like, pick up a check for what? And I was like, well, we have to close your account because as we've looked at your website and we see your gummies that are non-THC. Right broad spectrum cbd gummies they said that they were un uh, um they weren't interested in being exposed to the risk mm -hmm. because bank institutions get to make a decision because there isn't a federal regulation right. um whether or not they want to be exposed to the risk in this industry so what have you seen as an accountant in this space and what are some of the challenges that people have had with banks and what recommendations would you offer you know clients as it relates to like working with banks well, back in 2006, they're not as profound as they are now where they return your check and call you and come and pick it up. That's when you would log into your bank and they would say, um, you're under investigation. Ugh. And we're going to hold the funds until we figure out what's going on and how close you are to a THC or a CBD company. Square. That's a square thing today. <laughs> right. So I've seen that not only with merchant processors, but with banks yeah. holding funds. Mm -hmm. So it was just a very scary thing to put money in the bank and not use it right away. I mean, we would almost put money in the bank just to wire it to a vendor to pay an invoice right. the same day because you wouldn't want money sitting because you would never know you what would be risk subjected you were to investigation. Absolutely. Right. And um, they held funds for a really long time. Yeah. I remember PayPal held our funds for almost nine months under investigation. Yeah, six months over here. It's a, you know, this is really. I, I'm so glad that you're able to provide insight because I really want new entrepreneurs in this space to understand the level of cash flow and the liquidity that you need outside of your business revenue. And this is not for. This is speaking from a business owner and from a professional right. accountant. It is so important to have liquidity aside from your cash flow in business. You can have a six-figure month and not one penny of it. Be in. available to you. And you would have just thought that, you know, after creating this marketing campaign and launching out this rollout, that I'm just going to be able to just move forward and it doesn't happen. And it's so hard to explain to people because it's so uncommon. Right. Right. So I'm well, sorry to interrupt, but that's First so merchant fees, let's just talk about the fee-based. <laughs> if I make $100,000, there's a percentage that they're taking off top for fees for the actual processing, right? So we have to understand that. We also have to understand that businesses have to have several merchant processors because some don't utilize certain credit cards that other utilize. Yeah. So you have to remember, you have to always have several different options available. Yeah. Um, so you run a greater risk because your money is now spread apart. Yeah. But at the same time, it's necessary. Yeah. Um, so those are kind of the risks that you run where you have the merchant processing fees from different companies. You have the reserves yeah. that we discussed. So each company is going to take their own reserve. Yeah. And then let's talk about these chargebacks. Oh, let's God. talk about the people who get products. Oh, God. And call the bank and says, oh, no, I, oh, I didn't order that. Just know that, that if, you do it with w, if you do it with WH Farms, because it is in our terms and conditions, we litigate. And I just want to be very clear. So I want to tell litigate. business owners, <laughs> keep a list of those chargebacks and stop sending yeah. them product. You yeah. have to keep to, you have to keep a list because yeah. there are people who do this serially. I mean, the fraud. We <laughs> litigate. 
I just want to say that litigation is an option for a business. And the more you do it, the more reserved the merchant processor holds. Yeah. So if you're doing it to my business constantly and they're on they're normally charging a 30% reserve, they may increase that to a 45 or 50%. Which is why reserve. we litigate. Which is why we <laughs> litigate. Because another thing that people don't realize, because this is very common, I mean, I just had, you know, we've had so many of these types of issues. Yeah. And I think that as a startup, you have to be, not even as a startup, as any business, if you're taking, if you're doing business with a cannabis business, then do not bring the attitude that I can compromise this business's cash flow and operations because I changed my mind, I had an emotional reaction. The damage that you do to the operations of that business is worth litigating because when you've been yeah. you know, held back from your account for six to eight months, then that's cash flow loss. And all of that adds us lost revenue. And that can, you know, that could be a, a multiple six figure number yeah you know and it's worth the litigation i don't think i think people need to understand that like don't think that you're going to go to a cookies or a true leave or a wh farms and just run a a scam with your card you can find yourself in court because you're not just getting your hundred dollars or your thousands of dollars back you're actually getting you're charging them hundreds of thousands of dollars of lost revenue because it may have been a platform where all of their receivables came in yeah yeah so i just want to make sure that i re-emphasize that part we definitely yeah because that's yeah. a big thing now right yeah so we have to inform people and let people know you are doing detriment to people's business absolutely and they we we're affected by those kind of things and even with merchant processing you talk about the reserve but i think that people should also recognize that you're considered a high-risk business business mm -hmm. just like pornography just like you know gambling facilities and so you may even be charged a higher percentage for the exactly. actual processing of your funds yeah so what are some things that you recommend um, that individuals do to work around or make sure that they're operating a business above board in that space well, there's a few things that you can do for compliance. Okay. The first thing is you want a great team of accountants and a CPA behind you that know the numbers, that know this industry. Yes. You, of course, want a legal team behind you that is keeping abreast of any changes. Um, I tell people all the time, whatever state you're in, whatever county you're in, get involved. Yeah. Um, every state has their own department of cannabis control or marijuana control centralized that you can be signed up for, that you can be informed about. It's very, very important more than any industry that you're informed of the changes Absolutely. and that you have a whole team that's informed. Also informed of other financial opportunities, as you said, in the agricultural community, or just as when we were just in this pandemic, right? There were companies who didn't take advantage of a lot of the federal funds. I'm talking about the employee retention program. Right. I'm talking about PPP funding. I'm right. talking about SBA loans. I'm talking about all of the different avenues and ventures that you can invest in before going to the venture capital route. Yeah. Um, there is also international banking options that have opened up in Amsterdam, in England. These countries have widely accepted the use of cannabis, not only medicinally, but recreationally as yeah. well. So they have a lot of programs. Um, I know that the companies that I've worked with have all banked overseas. Mm -hmm. Now, when there is an issue with your funds or you need to speak with someone, you may have to stay up all night, right? Because we're we're different in dealing with different time zones and yeah. things of that nature, um, conversions of funds. But these are the opportunities that are making it a little safer for you 
um, with your funds to feel safe putting them in the bank, to not have such a large petty cash, yeah. to not have vaults and saves and having to pay employees from cash and play vendors from cash. So you actually have banking opportunities. And then we also know that if you don't have banking opportunities, it's hard for you to get funding outside of venture capital. Absolutely. So this gives you the opportunity to have bank statements, to have financial statements, to have um, an account with the bank and a history where if you do need funding or loans, credit cards, things of that nature, you can build that relationship. Yeah. There are also a lot of credit unions mm -hmm. um, that are state-based and um, state-funded that support that support the um, cannabis and hemp. So you just have to do your research yeah. um, and definitely become a part of a community yeah. because there's other people that have been in this industry a lot longer and can provide a lot of insight. The Californias and the Colorado natives right. that have been at this since 2016 yeah. have a lot of insight on these kind of things. So Absolutely. I would definitely tell you stay Stay in your community. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that your point about advocacy and being a part of that space yeah. is so important because as laws change and as, uh, you know, conditions change, you want to be on the front line so that you can make sure that you can keep a pulse on what changes you need to make in your business. Um, we also have been really... Uh, intentional about working with, as you mentioned, THC banks, THC merchant processors. Even though we are hemp derived and we're marijuana or marijuana adjacent, we go into spaces where they're THC friendly mm -hmm. because we know that they won't have any challenges with us. And then another tip that I would like to add is chargeback insurance. Mm -hmm. When you work with those various merchant processors who are familiar with this space and familiar with how detrimental a chargeback could be for a company, then offering that type of insurance and coverage on your finances is so important for cash flow. Um, and really, you know, Ashley made a point, and I want to reemphasize this, because as a startup business, you spend a lot, right, in trying to acquire professionals who know marketing, who know advertising, who know accounting. Working with people who have experience in this industry is vital because an accountant who has helped beauty brands is very different from an accountant who has helped dispensaries. There are tax requirements, there are um, financial expenses that have to be considered, and you need to know that you're working with a financial professional who knows your space, yeah. because you cannot underestimate the cost, and you cannot underprepare for FDA compliance with labels. You can't um, underprepare for legal requirements as it relates to the variety of legal aspects, not Definitely. just litigation, but even compliance, um, licensing. And, you know, if you have to go venture route, even preparing for those types of documents in that process that requires, you know, legal fees. So I just want to make sure that I reemphasize that don't allow a professional to be don't be the guinea pig of their business. Find someone who's already been in the game, who's helped other companies, whose resume shows that we're going to provide Ashley's information for the accounting purposes. But really, and I know that there are other accounting professionals that are out there, um, legal professionals, but do your research and go into the industry to find these professionals because that's where you're going to find people who really know what you're up against and you can borrow their wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I love it. So let's talk about some current insights that you can provide. What is the, What do you think the current state of cannabis banking is? Do you think that we'll ever see a widespread shift as it relates to like the Safe Banking Act and what we need as an industry in order to really create that foundation of growth as a traditional business in the in America? I do. I do. Um, we've had some recent litigation that's trying to push to make it happen, right? So we've had the Safe Act 
made it through the House. Yeah. Right. We're just trying to get through the Senate. So um, we just need a little bit more support. I don't see that we're moving backwards. Yeah. I, I like to I say that, that I haven't seen any laws move backwards. I do think that everything has been forward moving, which is great for the possibilities. Right. So the trajectory shows that. This can be one of the largest industries by 2050, I believe. Absolutely. Um, I don't see that there's any reservation. It's just going to take some time. Yeah. Um, and I believe one of the biggest things that is going to change it is the turnover of as we get many of our baby boomers out. Yeah. Right. And we have this transition when we think 1996. I'm like, OK, right. That's our time. So we didn't grow up with a time in a time where there was this negative connotation stigma. behind and stigma behind marijuana, um, like some of our parents and some of our grandparents did. So as we have a transition of power and we get some more Gen Xers and millennials in these legislative seats, I, I believe that. It'll, it, it'll definitely change. You know what's so interesting that you say that about the boomers because they say that the boomers are one of the largest groups of cannabis users. Definitely. I think that another benefit, because I agree with you, we're definitely not moving backwards, but I think that another benefit will be the boomers being more transparent about the wellness benefits. Oh, yeah. And sharing how they are using a plant-based alternative as opposed to pills and prescriptions that have a different quality of experience. And so I just am excited Excited because I, I sit in the North Carolina House Health Committee meeting from time to time because, again, I believe in being right there on the floor where the policies are being made. Right. Because if you're a business owner in this industry, you can't afford to be too far away from policy creation. It affects everything that you do. And I'm actually impressed with the 65-plus-year-old members who sit and candidly share how they were shocked right. at how positive their bodies responded and how their doctors recommended. So I'm really excited that more of the wellness benefits are being brought to the table because then we start to, you know, my biggest, my biggest um, campaign or mantra now is that we need a federal redefinition of cannabis. Right. It needs to be broken down into a non-psychoactive, psychoactive and industrial categories, yes. three categories, so that we can begin to create policies mm -hmm. around each specific category. And so I do think that that's something that's going to be very helpful as well to move it forward. Definitely, I yeah. do. And I, I agree that the baby boomers are one of the biggest user groups in California. If you go to a club, that's who you see, right? Yeah. You, you would be very shocked to see the demographic of who who's in the cannabis club, who's making these large purchases. Yeah, right? um, yeah, consistently, <laughs> consistently, <laughs> right? And using it for different purposes. Um, but I do think that speaking about it openly, yes, is something that um, that generation still has an issue with, yes. right? There's a lot of areas that. Even though they've experienced it, speaking about it positively, opening up legislation for it. Yeah. Not so available. Not so, so I, available. I, yeah, I think we, we do have a huge opportunity as time moves forward. Yeah. And we have um, some different, not only age, but political changes Ab as well. Agreed, agreed. So where do you see, statistically speaking, or just from your industry research, we know that this is a huge industry. It's projected to be one of the largest industries or the frontier of the largest industry in this country. Right. So they're actually comparing it to the tech boom yeah. and saying they could outpace the tech boom. So let's talk about those details. How big is cannabis? Cannabis is huge. <laughs> <laughs> and as we discussed before, we've already seen it in our food. Yeah. 
and we've already seen it in our beauty products. Yep. And so the next explosion, like we talked about, is into the pharmaceutical industry. Yep. Yep. So those are the three largest industries in the American population. What we eat, our beauty, and... Um, our beauty and our medicine, and, our medicine take, yeah. and that we take. So I think once it can integrate into those three markets, it will be bigger than the tech boom, yeah. right? Because once you can see it, like you said, categorized separately for the separate uses, whether it's the com commercial hemp usage, whether it's the TAC for com consumption, yeah. whether it's the CBD for health and beauty products, I, I think that it's going to be huge. It's honestly. limitless. It's limitless. They've We're... said that the largest global industries are coffee, water, and cannabis. Yeah. Those are the top three. So if you're a coffee company, a water company, or a cannabis company, like you're up there. Yeah. And I think that so many people, the reason why we wanted to launch WH Farms to help people launch and expand their CBD product line mm -hmm. is because, you know, shout out to Copra, Coriel, but Coriel was one of our brand ambassadors when we launched the company. And I'll never forget on a live with her, she said, oftentimes we always as a community find out about these opportunities later than everyone else. Yeah. And for me specifically, having a brother who served federal time because of a cannabis conviction, having a family who's been torn apart by that, and then seeing the former Speaker of the House being one of the wealthiest cannabis entrepreneurs in Ohio, you recognize how quickly things change, how much it didn't trickle down and affect the communities that it disrupted, and how we as individuals who are you know, a part of those communities have to not allow this to become a multi-billion dollar industry before we start to plant our flag. We need to be on the front end of it. So I really appreciate everything that you've come and you said today because you've given so much phenomenal insight um, as it relates to just the state of this industry, some of the challenges, some of the ways to overcome. Thank yeah. you for those tips. I'm going to ask one last question because I think cash flow is so important. What are some positive habits and, and techniques that cannabis businesses can really put into practice as it relates to maintaining positive cash flow, protecting their cash flow, mm -hmm. and being able to protect themselves as a company operationally as they grow, um, as this industry is expanding? One of the biggest ways I always tell businesses, no matter the industry, to protect cash flow is make sure your receivables are dated before your payables. Okay. Right. And the easiest way we do that is you want to have longer terms with your vendors that you need to pay. I agree. Then you are allowing your customer to pay you. Mm -hmm. So um, anytime you have to purchase inventory, purchase product up front to be able to sell to your customer, you want to make sure your customer is paying you before you have to pay your vendor. You also want to make sure that your costing structure is strong. Mm -hmm. It is very, very important that we're costing our products properly. Right. That we're looking at exactly what labor, what products, what materials we're putting in to create, and we're making sure that our margins are strong. Yeah. So we have the cash flow necessary to run operationally, take care of our business overhead, continue to flow inventory into the business, and keep our clients happy. Absolutely. So that's that's my biggest thing. Always make sure your receivables are dated before your payables. Yes, I love it. I love it. Ashley, thank you so much. Thank you for this having me. This has been not a problem. This has been another episode of the 
Can of Coin podcast with Q Nicole. If you liked and felt some value from this video, make sure that you like, comment, and share. Um, certainly the show notes will have a number of details that you can reference back so that as you're launching your business, this episode can be of great value to you. Guys, we gave you the real today, but not to scare you, but to prepare you so that you are able to walk in with an open mind, but also a prepared mind to understand not only the level of mental, um, I think, tenacity that's needed to overcome some of these challenges, but just from a liquidity perspective, where you need to be financially so that you can really create a sustainable business. And certainly you can follow me on Instagram at McNair. And if you are interested in our academy and a mentorship so that you're able to grow in this industry, please check out the CBDpreneur Academy on our website and you'll get more information there. So thank you again and have a great day, guys. Thank you.